Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I want to put two statements up on the screen, and I want you to, in your own heart and mind, answer the question, which of these two statements is true about you? All right? Put these two statements up here for me. I am saved. I am being saved. Let's read them out loud. I am saved. I am being saved. Which of those two statements are true about you and me as followers of Jesus? The answer is yes, right? It's both of these statements. Both of these things are true about us. And let me show you what I mean by that. This first one, I am saved, literally is saying this. I am saved from the penalty of sin. Let me read it to you out of Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. I am saved from the penalty of sin. Look what it says. Therefore, there is, what's the next word? The next word. We need that little ball that bounces like in the old. Therefore, there is now. You got so excited about the word no. But listen, the word no is not nearly as as significant without the word now. There is now. Now, the word now means at this present moment. There, therefore, there is now, in this moment. Let's read it again. Therefore, there is at this moment. Let's read it again. Therefore, there is at this moment. Every time you read this, it's talking about this moment. Therefore, there is now, right now, at this moment, now read the next one, no condemnation. The word condemnation is a word that means it's a legal term that was a decision of guilty in a criminal case. It often meant then the the punishment and the penalty to come was understood. The Bible says now, in this moment, right now, there is no, not any, not a single sense of guilt, not a single sense of penalty, not a single sense of punishment, not a single sense of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is our position. Here's what that means. Because of Jesus, God now sees you and God sees me as free from the penalty and the guilt of sin in this moment and in every moment for the rest of our lives into eternity. How's that possible? Let's read on. Look what he said. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. What is it that the law could not do? The law could not make us righteous. You see, all the law could do is show us our inability to live righteous. 
The law revealed the sinfulness of my own heart. When I look at the law, I'm looking into the mirror of the righteousness of God. And when I see the law, I realize I can never measure up to God's standard. Some people think that in the Old Testament, the way people got saved was they got saved by keeping the law. And in the New Testament, now people get saved a different way. That's not true. Nothing could be further from the truth. The law was never given to bring salvation. The law was given to point out our need for a Savior. Look what it says. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh... What are the next two words? God did. Here's what that means. The law, you and I through the law, could never attain righteousness. Because every time we look at the law, we realize we're unrighteous. We've already fallen short of God's standard. But what the law could not do make us righteous, God did. How did he do that? Look what it says. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here's what that means. You and I could never perfectly fulfill the law. We could never measure up to God's standard. Every time we're compared to the law, it reveals the unrighteousness of our own heart and separates us from God. But God did for us what we could not do on our own. He sent his son Jesus. Guess what Jesus did? He perfectly fulfilled the law. Every aspect of the moral and the ceremonial and the judicial law of God was fulfilled in Christ and Christ offered his body on the cross for our sins and he died but he didn't stay dead he rose again from the dead so that now you and I get what we get the righteousness of God why because we're in Christ here's what that means as you sit here this morning when God looks at you he sees you as sinless and as righteous as Jesus Christ himself. When we understand that, we can say, I am saved. I'm so saved, it's pitiful. I am saved from the penalty of sin. You and I will never be guilty again before God. We'll never be condemned before God. We'll never be seen as unrighteous before God because Jesus took all of that on our behalf. And now we are in, that's why he said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If I was standing here today in a a black plastic bag, when you looked at me, what would you see? A black plastic bag, right? Why? Because I'm in it. We have been spiritually placed in Christ. When God the Father looks at us, He doesn't see Vance as doing the best He can. He doesn't see me as a failure and somebody who sins. He doesn't see me as somebody that doesn't measure up. When God looks at me, my position is I am in Christ. I am am saved but I am also being saved you see I am saved already from the penalty of sin but I am now being saved from the power of sin in my life Let me read it to you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul said, for I am confident. The word confident means I've become persuaded. He's convinced me. Paul said, I have become convinced. Convinced of what? This very thing. That he who began a good work in me will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what that means. Who I am right now in my position before God 
God now has me in a process where he's working out in my life practically that which is already true about me positionally. Moment by moment, day by day. Here's what this means. I'm not all the man that I'm supposed to be, but thank God I'm not the man I used to be. God has me in a process of conforming me to the image of Christ and saving me from the very power of sin in my life on a daily basis. I am saved, and I am being saved. Well, how does this practical, day-to-day freedom from the power, how does it happen? Well, Charles Trumbull, Charles Trumbull wrote a little book. If you've never read it, you're going to hear me quote it this week and next weekend. Charles Trumbull wrote a book called Victory in Christ. I think we have a few at our resource table available. If you don't have one, you can pick one up. We'll try to get some more before next weekend because I know just saying that, whatever we have is going to be gone after this service. But if you've never read this book, it's a little bit, you can read it in an hour, but I, I read it every year a couple times a year. Listen to what Charles Trumbull said in this book. The miracle of victory over sin's power. That's that I am being saved principle. The miracle of victory over sin's power is sustained And continued in our lives only through moment-by-moment faith in our Savior for His moment-by-moment provision. How did I get my new position in Christ? Here's how. By faith. At a moment in time... You heard the gospel. You confessed your sin. And by faith, you believed on Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. In that moment, we were born again positionally into a right standing before God. Gave us a relationship with God that is unchanging. How do I experience victory moment by moment? Same way. By faith. Now, I hate to do this to you, but that's what we're going to be talking about next weekend. All right? If you want to know how to experience victory moment by moment over the power of sin, don't miss next weekend. I'm telling you, I'm already so excited. It's, I can hardly not preach it this weekend because I'm so excited about what we're going to do next weekend. But it's the same way. It's by faith, moment by moment. So, so what Charles Trumbull is writing about is the same thing that John is writing about in his letter we call 1 John that we're studying through as a church. If you have your Bible, open to 1 John chapter 1. Charles is writing about the same thing, our walk. How do I experience victory over sin? I get, Pastor, that I'm freed from the penalty of sin before God, but man... Sin is still wearing me out. How do I tap into more of the victory over the power of sin day by day, moment by moment? It's our walk. And it's specifically what we talked about last weekend, our walk of fellowship with God. It's our moment by moment fellowship with God that allows us by faith to experience victory over sin's power. That's all I can say about that. You have to come back next week to get that, all right? Here's the spiritual reality I want you to let your teeth sink into this morning. A godly walk doesn't mean the absence of sin. A godly walk means experiencing victory in the presence of a very real struggle. I hope that encouraged somebody this morning. Here's what happens. We come to church and we look at everybody with their church face on. 
And we think, man, I'm the only one who's struggling. We let the enemy deceive us into believing that a godly walk means the absence of sin. No, the absence of sin, let me tell you what that is. That's not a godly walk. That's heaven. <laughs> we ain't even got time to talk about this. I, I am saved. I am being saved. Guess I will be saved. Ultimately, from the presence of sin. As long as you and I live and breathe in this life. Listen to me. As long as we live and breathe in this life. We will struggle. We will struggle against sin. Transparent as I can be, okay? I battled it this week just like you did. I don't want you to come in here and look up here on Sunday. Listen, if you knew the struggles and battles I have internally in my own heart, you wouldn't listen to anything I have to say. (laughs) I'm telling you the truth. As long as you live in this life, you're going to struggle. Don't think that somehow you're a second-class citizen of the kingdom because you struggle. We're all struggling. And anybody who says they're not, we're going to talk about that here in a second. John's got some strong words for you this morning. So so then here's the question of the morning. Next weekend, we're going to talk about how do we get victory. You say, why'd you put that off? Listen, I didn't write it. He wrote it. It's the order that it's in the book. But this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what happens when we do sin. What happens when we do? So take your Bible, open to 1 John chapter 1. I want to, we read verses 6 and 7 last weekend. I want to read verse 6 again, then we're going to jump down to verse 8. Look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and (laughs) to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. What happens when we sin? Anybody else in the room can say, yeah, I'm with you, Pastor. I struggle. (laughs) Come on, don't look at it. You can put your hand up. It's church. It's all right. (laughs) What happens when we do sin? Listen, there are really only, only two responses when we sin. Only two. Everything falls under these two headings. Here's the first option. Here's the first response. When we sin, we can be dishonest about our sin. Most of what John is writing here is addressing people who are being dishonest about their sin. And as we read through these verses and as we unpack this, you're going to hear a downward spiral. The deception and the dishonesty gets worse and worse and worse. It gets deeper. It gets darker. It gets more defiant. 
It gets more twisted the further we walk into this dishonesty concerning our sin. There are three ways that John says we can be dishonest about our sin. And here's here's really what I want you to wrestle with this morning. How are you dealing daily with sin in your life? And the first thing I want you to wrestle with is are you being dishonest about it? And, And here's the first way that John says we can be dishonest. We can lie to others about our sin. It's verse 6. I want to show it to you in the message, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the New Testament. I love the way he captured this. Look at this on the screen. He said verse 6 could be said like this. If we claim that we experience a shared life with him and continue to stumble around in the dark, we're obviously lying through our teeth. We're not living what we claim. In Greek culture, which is when this was written, in Greek culture, one aspect that dominated the culture was the aspect of the theater. One of the major centerpieces of Greek culture, one of the things that has been passed down for centuries through the Greco-Roman society is this aspect of the theater. If you go to Broadway today and you go into a show to watch played out on a stage, you're going to see all kinds of dramatic effects. But in the Greek culture, it was really limited. The technology had not advanced to the place that they could have all the effects and lighting and all the things that we have today. The primary means with which they communicated was a mask. In the Greek culture, they had these large masks that you've seen pictures of them that overemphasize. They, they look like a huge smile, or it looks like a really big frown, or it looks like somebody's really angry. And the, the players on the stage would take whatever mask expressed their emotion, and the mask was designed so that it also served like a megaphone because as the crowds would come into the theater, they didn't have amplification systems. They would use these masks as megaphones, but so that the person all the way in the back could know the emotion of the character on stage, they put this big mask up in front of them, and it communicated what they were portraying on the stage. The Greek word for the person on the stage holding the mask was the Greek word hypocrites. We get an English word transliterated from that word. It is the word hypocrite. It is someone pretending to be on the outside what they are not really on the inside. They're being dishonest to those that are observing them about who they really are. It was a favorite word that Jesus used in addressing the Pharisees. Half the times it seems like in the Bible Jesus addressed the Pharisees, he used this Greek word. Let me give you an example. Matthew 23, 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There it is. And you got to understand, when Jesus used this word, everybody in the culture knew what he was talking about. You're like one of those guys on stage with a big mask. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. A hypocrite is anyone who is pretending to be what he is not. John says the first layer of dishonesty that we have with our sin is we put the mask on. You know there's sin there. God knows there's sin there. But you come to church, go to small group, get around some other Christians. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, 
and yet walk in darkness? We're lying. We want everybody to think we're something that we're not. So here's the first question. As we walk through this today, I'm going to give you some questions, and I'm going to give you a minute to think about these in your heart. I don't want you to answer out loud, but here's the first question. I'm going to put them up here so you can see them. Are you being dishonest about your sin by pretending to be something that you are not before God and others? Is your walk, remember what we said your walk? Your walk is the way you live your life. Is your walk a performance? It's layer one of how we can be dishonest when it comes to sin in our lives. Let me give you the second way. Not only lie to others, this is where it gets more twisted. We can lie to ourselves. Look what he says in verse 8. I'll put it back up here. If we say that we have no sin, we are, say it out loud, deceiving ourselves. This phrase, we have no sin... It's in the present tense. It's speaking to a lifestyle of no sin. He's writing here about the believer who would look at his life and say, I'm good. No sin in my life. I know what you're thinking. How could anybody really say that, right? Because this is not the believer who's saying that to deceive others. We get that. That's, that's layer one. This is the believer who's actually crossed the line of trying to deceive others, and you've now started believing yourself. I'm good. How is that even possible? How could anybody get there? Well, well let me help you understand that there, there are three ways that I think we can deceive our own selves concerning our sin. Number one, we can deceive ourselves about the nature of sin. Here's what I mean by that. My mentor, Clyde Cranford, wrote it this way. I think this will bring some clarity. Look what he said. Perhaps we define sin as overt acts, such as theft or murder or adultery, but these are merely fruit sins, root sins of the heart and mind go much deeper than what we have done. They go to the depth of who we are. Fruit sins simply point to the deeper root sin inside. I think one of the ways we deceive ourselves is we miss what Clyde's talking about here. We we only think about outward action and not internal desire. Let me try to help you get it. I wanted to punch that guy in the face. But I didn't. So I'm good. No sin in my life. Now here's what God's saying. He doesn't just want me not to punch the guy in the face. It grieves the heart of God that the spirit of anger inside of me wanted to punch the guy in the face. But we've deceived ourselves about the nature of sin and said, well, since I didn't do that, here's another. Well, I looked, (laughs) but I didn't touch. There are a lot of people in this age of technology that we live in who believe that because they simply hadn't committed some overt ultimate act, 
that somehow I'm innocent. I've deceived myself that I can let my heart run around in the devil's playground and be good with God. I so wanted that promotion that she got. But I didn't lie and cheat to get it, so we ignore the covetousness in our heart. We ignore the lust in our heart. We ignore the greed in our heart, and we've deceived ourselves to think, well, simply because I hadn't done that, well, it could have been worse, but I didn't, so I'm good. Think about how different this is than what David prayed. David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Second way we deceive ourselves. We don't just deceive ourselves about the nature of sin. Sometimes we deceive ourselves about the circumstances of our sin. Here's what I mean by that. Normally, <laughs> normally I agree this would be wrong. But if you just knew my situation, if you were in my circumstances, you just don't understand how I'm feeling right now. You don't know what I'm dealing with. See what we've done? We've begun to deceive ourselves about our sin because we've excused it with our circumstances or our situation or our feelings or the opportunity. Listen, you just don't understand this. This is too great. And I know normally I wouldn't do this, but man, this opportunity is just too great. You know what you've done? You've deceived yourself. Here's the third way we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves about the grace of God towards sin. Here's what I mean by that. Because God's grace is so rich, we talked about it a minute ago, I am free from the penalty of sin. We begin to see grace as a license to sin. Let me say this. If your theology of grace produces anything but holiness, you know nothing of God's amazing grace. There is a theology out there today that teaches a grace that leads to excess. That is not the grace of the Bible. But we often deceive ourselves with cheap grace. Here's a question. Are you being dishonest with yourself about your sin by minimizing it? Excusing it, justifying it, or simply not calling it sin. John says one of our responses to sin is we were dishonest about it. It starts by being dishonest to others. We know it, but, but we're just going to put on a show. But here's the, here's the downward spiral. I begin to not just lie to others, I begin to lie to myself. Are you being dishonest? Have you minimized it? Have you excused it because of the way you feel or your circumstance? Or... Unfortunately, this isn't, this isn't the bottom rung of the ladder. It gets worse. We can lie to others. We can lie to ourselves. Here's the end game. We call God a liar. Let me show it to you. Verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Let me tell you what this is. This we have not sinned speaks to, it's a tense that describes in the past 
and in the future. It's, it's something I started back there, but nowhere back there nor any time in the future. This is the person who's gotten to the place in their heart before God that they are in essence shaking their fist at God and saying, I don't care what you say. It's not sin. It's okay. You say, well, I, I would never shake my fist at God. Well, here's the way we say it and excuse it. Well, I know the Bible says, but I know the Bible says, but doesn't God want me to be happy? This isn't sin. God wants me to be happy. God, it's not sin. It's who I am. I know the Bible says, but the Bible was written a long time ago. I know the Bible says, but, but, but this is different. You see the downward spiral? We start by lying to others, trying to cover it up. We then drift into deceiving our own selves and justifying. And then we get to the place where we say, I don't care what the book says. It's not sin. Here's the question. Have you embraced a habit or lifestyle that God has called sin and determined for yourself that for whatever reason, it is not sin? What happens when we sin? We can be dishonest. You say, why is, why is this dishonesty such a big deal concerning my sin? I'm forgiven. What, why is it such a big deal? Well, two reasons. Number one, our fellowship with God is hindered. Our fellowship with God is hindered. When we're, when we're walking in sin, remember we talked last weekend about fellowship versus relationship. Our relationship with God never changes, but our fellowship with God can be hindered. Let me give you the life lesson I gave you last weekend. Remember what I said? Everything in my life rises and falls based on my fellowship with God. Remember that? Everything in my life rises and falls based on my fellowship with God. Here's what that means. I'll never know the abundant life that He's promised me apart from moment-by-moment fellowship with Him. If I'm being dishonest, if I'm covering up my sin, if I'm deceiving others, if I'm deceiving myself, myself, if I'm calling God a liar, if any of that's happening, it is rupturing my fellowship relationship with God, and therefore I will never experience the abundant. Listen, the Bible says the thief came to steal and kill and destroy. The thief has come to rob you of the abundant life that God has for you. And as long as you buy into his lie and begin to deceive concerning your sin, you will never enjoy the sweet, abundant, victorious, full, rich, satisfying life that Christ can bring. It's a big deal because it steals our fellowship. But here's the second reason it's a big deal. If we're walking in deception concerning our sin, we need to ask a hard question about our relationship to God. We're going to get here in a few months, but let me show you 1 John 5, verse 13. Look what it says on the screen. 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written to you who... Say the next word out loud. Let me underline it just in case you miss it this time. There it is. These things I've written to you who what? Believe. Who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may, say this word, that you have eternal life. Here's how you can know today. You can know that you can know that you can know that you can know that you are a child of God. How can I know if you what? 
Here's the way most people read this verse. They think it says believed. And to find assurance today that they're saved, they try to go back and drum up some experience from the past and say, well, I, I, I know my life really does, but, but back there at junior camp, I was baptized. How do you know you're saved? I got baptized. Here's what this says. The assurance of my salvation is not an experience in the past. It's a relationship in the present. How do I know that what I got back there in junior camp was real? Let me tell you how I know. Because it's still real today. How do I know I'm married? Well, because on May the 23rd, 1992, I stood in front of a congregation of people and I said, I do. And I got a plaque that shows it, right? I got a certificate that says I'm married. Now, you know how I know I'm married? Because I woke up with her this morning. (laughs) We talked before I left the house. Hey, if I woke up and she wasn't there, today, tomorrow, next week, I might better begin to ask the question if I'm really married, right? The evidence is ongoing fellowship. Here's what John is saying. If I am walking in darkness, if I'm constantly living in deception, for sure it has damaged my fellowship. But I better ask the question, do I even have a relationship? Listen to the way John MacArthur writes about it. We've got to move past it. Listen to what he said. No one can be a Christian and continue living the way he did before he knew Christ. Making a decision years ago, walking an aisle, or reading a tract on how to accept Christ is not a biblical criterion for salvation. The issue is what is your life like right now? If sin and unrighteousness characterize your life, there is a possibility you are a disobedient Christian. But there is a greater possibility. You are not a Christian at all. Again, He's not talking about momentary acts of sin. He's talking about someone who's living with a lifestyle of deceiving others, a lifestyle of deceiving myself, or a lifestyle of saying, God's a liar. The first response is we can be dishonest about our sin. But there's a second response. We're all going to sin. That's how we started. We're going to struggle. It's not the absence of sin. It's the presence of experiencing victory and an ongoing struggle. What's the second response? We can get honest about our sin. You know what would be awesome today? You know what would bring in a revival in our nation? You know what would bring awakening in our own fellowship? If today we just got honest about our sin. Let me show it to you, verse 9. If we confess If we, say the next word, confess. The word confess in the Greek language is a compound word made up of two phrases. The first phrase is the phrase to say or speak. The second phrase is the phrase the same thing. Put it together, to confess means to say or speak The same thing. What does that mean? It means to call it what God calls it. It means to get honest. 
to stop lying to somebody else, to stop lying to myself, to stop calling God a liar, to drag it out. I mean, we talked last weekend about walking in the light. As you and I walk in the light, as we walk in fellowship with God, when we sin, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in us is going to show us that sin. It's going to put its finger on that sin. He's going to bring light on that sin. And the moment that he does, you have a decision to make. Am I going to be honest? Am I going to say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, or am I going to start the process of layering the deception? And when you start the process of layering the deception, it is a downward spiral. But the Bible says when we sin, we're going to struggle with sin. The Bible says here's what happens when we sin. Confess, agree with God. God, you're right, I'm wrong. And when we do that, I have good news. In the Greek language, it doesn't mean it this way in English, but in the Greek language, word order is everything. If we confess our sin, in the Greek language, you know what the next word is right here? It's not he. If we confess our sin, here's the next word, faithful. Faithful is he. If we, here's what it is, if we'll be honest with God about our unfaithfulness, faithful is he. To forgive our Sin. To forgive our sin. Those things that we've confessed, those things that we've drug out in the light, faithful is he. But then look what it says. And to cleanse us from what? You know what that is? That's the heart stuff I don't even know yet. You've been walking with God long enough to know that There's some stuff in your heart he just hadn't shown you yet. There's some stuff in my life that God's just been patiently showing me. I've been doing it for years, but but I'm just now realizing the heart issues that are there. Here's what he says. If I'll be honest with him about what he exposes, he won't just forgive that. He'll take care of all the rest too. Why? Because it's all done in Jesus. No, don't miss this. This doesn't say when we sin, ask God to forgive us. You don't have to ask Him. He already has. All we have to do is get honest about it and claim what He's already given. I confess it. He's faithful. He's faithful to forgive and to cleanse not just faithful he's just he's right in doing so how's he right because he's already paid for it i'll close with this quote charles trumbull said this after we've known the best christ offers us to accept anything less for a single instant is to be in deadly peril if we should slip in even the slightest way If we should find that sin has entered through unbelief in the Lord's sufficiency, let us instantly stop what we're doing and take time necessary to confess to Him, claim His forgiveness and entire cleansing, and trust Him at once for His complete restoration and victory. Don't wait. Listen to me. Don't wait. Because at the the moment you're busy or because it's the end of the day and you think you're too tired to think or pray clearly, that is a dangerous way to think. May God keep us from daring to go to sleep with unconfessed sin in our hearts and with conscious loss of victory in Christ. Here's what we're about to do. Our worship team is going to go ahead and come. You guys go ahead and come get ready. We're about to have a moment to respond to God today. We're going to respond to what God has said. 
I want you to bow your head with me. Holy Spirit of God, in the stillness of this moment, may you speak. May you speak. What's God saying to you today? What is the Holy Spirit of God dragged out into the light in your heart? Have you been lying? Been lying to others, putting on the show? Have you begun to deceive yourself? Listen, I know in the contemporary church, it's not popular to talk about sin, but, but, but listen to me. We're never going to experience the power of God in our daily lives until we begin to deal with the sin in our lives on a moment by moment basis. What's God saying to you this morning? just a moment these altars they're going to be open they're open now if you want to come you can come now these steps we're going to turn them into an old fashioned altar if God has shined the light of his glory on something in your life and you just want to come and get honest with God you can come get in one of these altars and just be honest with God today you say man what's somebody going to think if I do listen when you experience the convicting power of the Holy Spirit of God the only person you care what do they think is God himself I don't care what anybody else thinks. What does God think? What is on the heart of my Father? How have I grieved Him? These altars are going to be open. You can come. Our pastors are here. We'd be honored to pray with you, pray for you, pray over you. And finally today, listen, if you don't know this Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't know that you're saved today, you can experience salvation. Our pastors are here. You can come to one of us and simply say these words, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. As God speaks in the stillness of this moment, don't wait on anybody else. You respond. Holy Spirit of God, have your way. In the name of Jesus, we